Welcome to APTA's Pulse Podcast. I'm Amelia Sullivan. When it comes to promoting healthy lifestyles, physical therapist Chris Hines doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk and rides the ride. In his home of Traverse City, Michigan, Chris gave up his car in order to walk, bike, and take public transit. As a clinician, Chris doesn't just think about the whole patient, he thinks about the community around that person and how it informs their health. In this episode, Chris talks about how PTs and PTAs can become better advocates for public health to empower healthier lives. Here's our conversation with Chris. Okay, Chris, we'll start with the obvious. Where does the profession fit in the population health space? You know, I think where PTs fit in population health is is really, I think, front and center as part of a, a larger team that's trying to influence the health of, of society. Um, and so... You know, I think physical therapists have a very unique expertise, right? We have a, a strong understanding of, of human movement. I think that's that's our foundation for our profession. We have a strong understanding of of pathology, of disease, uh, and and how you know some of the factors that influence health or the lack of health um, sort of impact uh, certainly individuals, but also impact the health of, of larger groups of communities and of society as a whole. So I think. You know, physical therapists have a very, very unique skill set, and I think we do need to be um, sort of front and center there, uh, along with our, our colleagues in public health, uh, in medicine, and in various fields sort of across a, a continuum. I mean, I think an easy place for physical therapists to start is, you know, just, just start, you know, considering your current patient caseload if you're involved in day-to-day patient care, and maybe try to think a little bit more broadly about what might be impacting the reasons for bringing that patient through your clinic door. So, you know, let's say you're saying, you know, Mr. Smith for shoulder pain, right? Mr. Smith might be a little bit overweight. He might be a little bit stressed on the job, you know, but he's had the shoulder pain that's been nagging for six months. So, you know, I think some physical therapists might look at that shoulder and say, okay, we've got a rotator cuff tendonitis here. We need to, you know, prescribe some exercise, um, you know, prescribe a home exercise program. Let's get that shoulder pain under control. Um, and send Mr. Smith out the door in, in six visits. Um, I think what we're starting to see in physical therapist practice is, is a little bit of a shift toward, you know, not just looking at Mr. Smith's shoulder, right, but looking at some of the factors that might have led Mr. Smith to develop shoulder pain, right? As you start to maybe tease out in your subjective interview with this patient, you know, you, you might hear something like, you know, I'm really stressed at the, at the job. Um, I'm having a hard time sleeping at night. You know, I'm only getting three to four hours of sleep. I'm, I'm traveling a lot for work, so I'm, I'm eating fast food all the time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm again, because I'm traveling, I'm not getting much much physical activity. Well, these are all very important factors to consider. And, you know, you might help Mr. Smith with his shoulder pain in the short term with some of these interventions. But chances are, whether it's shoulder pain, whether it's back pain, whether it's cardiovascular disease, whether it's diabetes, one of these problems is going to, come up later on down the road for, for a patient like this if we don't look a little bit more holistically. So I think that's maybe a place to start is, you know, not just looking at individual body parts, but looking at people and, and how are people sort of living day to day? You know, are they getting adequate sleep? What's their nutrition look like? How's their stress? Uh, are they connecting with their family and their community in, in meaningful ways? How much daily physical activity are they getting? How much weekly physical activity are they getting? Um, and also looking at the shoulder. But I think if we're not considering all of those factors, we're not going to really influence the health of that individual long-term, and we're certainly not going to be able to impact the health of, of communities and populations 
in any meaningful way if we're not looking at, at all those factors. Okay, so how in a profession where for most productivity is super high and you're already limited in time and access to patients, how do you also add covering these issues as well? I mean, that's certainly a challenge. I mean, there, there are real-world productivity standards where, you know, you may not get sufficient time to, you know, cover all these factors in one visit. Um, you know, and I, and I don't think, you know, we're talking about big big lifestyle changes oftentimes that are needed to, to sort of nudge someone's health from, from you know, uh, an unhealthy state toward a healthy state. And, you know, so those, those changes aren't going to be made in one or two sessions. So even in a short period of time, I think you can start to kind of lay the breadcrumbs of, um, you know, some healthy lifestyle changes. And, and so you might need to prioritize those, right? And I think that'll come out in discussion with the patient because, you know, maybe you as a therapist identify, okay, this, this patient is a smoker. I, that's what I think needs to change most. But in your discussions, what you hear from that patient is they're nowhere near ready to make a change in terms of their smoking. But you do hear some things like, well, you know, I've, I've been thinking more about trying to get more sleep or trying to change my sleep habits. Well, that's probably where you want to consider starting with that patient. So so instead of, you know, taking an hour and going through smoking cessation education, which certainly that patient needs, that patient's not ready to hear that information at this time. But maybe they're ready to hear, uh, you know, some facts and some information and some tips from a well-educated healthcare professional on ways to improve their sleep because you know they're ready to hear that information. So that might be where you start and see if you can make some changes there. And then you might find that that opens the door to, to maybe having that conversation about smoking, or maybe it's nutrition, or maybe it's physical activity, maybe it's stress management. But, you know, I think listening to the patient, finding, trying to kind of meet them where they are, find out what changes they might be ready to make, and starting there. So you as the professional know these changes need to be made, right? And part of the reason that they're sitting in front of you could very well be influenced by some of these things that need to be changed. So how do you navigate and influence uh, a patient who needs to make a change. And then um, let's talk specifically about uh, patients who are resistant to change. Yeah. And so that's a great point because they're not, most of the time they're not going to be, or at least they're not going to expect this coming to a physical therapist. You know, in, in most traditional physical therapist practice, patients are coming for what they believe is a very specific problem. Um, you know, and most patients aren't, aren't going to be coming prepared to have a discussion or to even consider lifestyle changes. So it's going to be, I don't want to say it's going to be an uphill battle, but I think the physical therapist or the student needs to approach this, you know, very cautiously. And they need to, you know, number one, they need to listen to the patient. They need to listen why they're coming to see you. What are the things that influenced and motivated them to attend that first visit? And find out, you know, oftentimes you'll hear from patients in that initial interview, what are the, what are the barriers that they are experiencing toward living a meaningful and, and, and enriching um, and just wonderful life. And, and so the therapist needs to listen to those things, and, and they need to help educate that patient. Sometimes it can be done quickly. Sometimes it'll take multiple sessions. Sometimes it'll take multiple encounters, you know, meaning multiple episodes of care to make changes on an individual level's uh, health. But they need to listen to that patient's goals. And, and so if, if you hear a patient say, you know, I'm having trouble you know, playing with my grandchildren or I'm having trouble, you know, getting through a day of work. I think it's important that the therapist tries to identify some factors that might be leading to those difficulties and help to educate the patient why some lifestyle changes might help to nudge those things in the right direction. But if it doesn't come back to the patient's goals, the patient's values, what that what that patient truly 
desires for their future, um, it's really not going to be meaningful and it's, it's probably going to be lost. You're probably not going to make an impact if you can't make it impactful and, and related to that patient's values. So is it safe to say we kind of have to work some magic a little bit and convince them this is what they need? I think it starts with listening. I mean, if you if you take the time to listen to your patient, really hear what they're saying, hear what they value, hear hear what their struggles are. If you hear that, um, that's going to guide you where to go versus just coming into an interview or coming into an initial encounter with an agenda and saying, you know, you read the patient's intake, you saw that they're a smoker, you saw that they're overweight, and say, okay, I'm going to change the, I'm going to, I'm going to talk this patient into health in one session. It's not going to work. It's just, it's just not. Um, but if you listen to that patient, really hear their story, hear why they're coming to see you, hear, hear what they're struggling with, hear what they might be ready to, to make a change with in their life. That I think that will guide the education and the intervention moving forward. And now for a quick break. From discounts to exclusive content, APTA offers more membership benefits than ever before. But you can't take advantage of all these benefits if you don't know what's available. So visit APTA.org benefits and start maximizing your membership today. Now let's return to the show. So now we're going to talk about when you get to that line, right? So is there a point where PTs need to step back and refer out? When do you know when you're at that point and where do you kind of draw the line? Right. So that, I think that's a really important question. And, and certainly I don't think a physical therapist should ever consider that they are going to manage the health of, of an individual by themselves. I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily our role. I think we do have expertise in, in, in many areas that will impact an individual's health, but we will come up against, you know, issues where we just don't quite have the skill set to fully address. So, you know, I think it, it certainly depends on the therapist's level of expertise and, and comfort in a given area. So I think nutrition is a good example. Um, you know, I think physical therapists, most of us hopefully are poised to give, you know, some general advice on, on proper nutrition. Um, but some individuals really need a more individualized um, prescriptive approach. And at that point, I think it's, it's important to recognize that and to refer out. So, you know, I think as, as new grads, you know, come into the, into the profession, I think it's important to, to sort of be out there in your community and start to build relationships with these other professionals. You know, get to know, you know, some of the registered dietitians in your area. You know, get to know uh, some physicians that look at health from a more holistic approach. Um, you know, get to know some personal trainers or folks in maybe some of the CrossFit gyms, um, you know, some of the exercise professionals in your community. Those are folks that you can lean on um, as well. Get to know some of the sleep professionals. Get to know some of the mental health professionals uh, in your community because physical therapists don't have these skill sets that some of these other professionals do, and it, and it is important Sort of when you when you recognize that you know this this patient might need a little bit more that you can offer that you have someone that you can say hey you know I know you know this 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 person you know who is an expert in this field they're right down the street you know I'm going to give you a referral to go see go see them or you know I really think you need to go back to your physician and, and chat about this you know I think it is important to know where those boundaries are where they are exactly it's different for every therapist it's it's very much gray. You know, some some physical therapists are very comfortable giving pretty extensive nutrition advice, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that if you have the knowledge and expertise to do that. Um, but I, I don't think that's the norm. Okay, so moving on a little bit, what are your go-to resources uh, that PTs can use to educate the public on healthy habits? Sure. So I think I mean there are a lot of there are a lot of good resources out there to, to recommend. Um, 
you know, certainly Move Forward PT has some some wonderful resources, and I know that a lot of um, a lot of chapters now have started to um, to geotag through Move Forward PT. So if you send a patient, I know we've done this here in Michigan. So if we send a patient to Move Forward PT, they're going to be connected with with kind of a Michigan specific landing page of that website, which is great because it can help connect them with more, more local resources. So. I think that's probably a great place to start um, as far as, um, you know, some basic information on nutrition, uh, sleep, physical activity, um, you know, a little bit more information about specific disease processes. I think that's a a great place to start. Um, Yeah, so I do occasionally recommend, you know, wearable technology, whether it's an Apple Watch, Fitbit, um, just something like, you know, that can be nice because it gives people a little bit of a a motivator, right? There's there's kind of that tangible... um, you know, daily reminder, you know, am I, am I getting my steps? Am I, am I getting my activity points? You know, I know both of my, I have two young girls that are seven and five and they, they both got, um, kind of these little kid Fitbits, um, for, uh, for their birthdays recently and they love it because they get, you know, they love like getting their, their movement goal and getting their activity points and they just, you know, like we were out this weekend at this bounce house place and they were running around like crazy and they got like double their move goal and they were like super pumped about that. So that was pretty cool just to see that little that little spark of motivation that comes with, with something like that. One other resource that I would like to mention um, that I didn't earlier is, is the especially the APTA's involvement with the National Physical Activity Plan. Um, the APTA is an organizational partner of the National Physical Activity Plan and has been for many years. Um, and I serve as the APTA's um, liaison to the board of directors, so the APTA's board member to the National Physical Activity Plan Alliance. And that's the group of, of organizational partners that oversees the National Physical Activity Plan. Um, and, and I think if, if, especially when it comes to the physical activity component of health, the National Physical Activity Plan does a, a really wonderful job of looking very holistically at the factors that shape participation in physical activity. Um, the plan is, is set up around um, nine societal sectors. So there's a, a sector on business and industry, on Healthcare, on public health, on transportation, um, and community design, and, and others, and, and it looks at specific ways that these different sectors can collaborate and also individually sort of impact physical activity um, on both an individual level and on a, a societal level. So I think for for folks who are maybe interested in looking a little bit higher level on how to influence physical activity for your patients and especially for your community. Uh, would be very well served to visit the, the National Physical Activity Plan website and take a look at some of those societal sectors and drill down on some of the um, objectives and tactics and strategies that are listed there. And that'll give, uh, I think, the, the physical therapy student, the physical therapist, the PTA, some, some maybe some great ideas on, on areas that they can start to engage to improve physical activity participation in the community. So in addition to just general resources, do you have any people or influencers that you recommend uh, people check out or even just other organizations? Influencers in this space, um, there, there are two groups that come to mind first. Uh, the first is the APTA's Council on Prevention, Health Promotion, and Wellness. And so anybody who's an APTA member can join this council. And, um, you know, this is a group that, that's sort of been, been forming and coming together over the last couple of years um, it's had some really great leadership from Jessica Berglund, uh, Patrick Berner, uh, amongst amongst others. Um, but this is a great resource, um, I think, to to start. You know, maybe for the physical therapist or for the student who's maybe not sure 
sort of where to start in this area or just feels that they don't quite have the knowledge or skills to start, you know, really sort of engaging in this space, I think the council is a great place to, to, to start. So you can go to the APTA website, you can search for the council, you can join, and then that'll connect you with the council's online community on the APTA's community page, which essentially is a message board that has a lot of great resources for, for therapists to, you know, on sleep and on nutrition. There's a discussion board, so if you have a question maybe about a, um, you know, a particular patient or, or maybe kind of how to start um, engaging in this space, that's a great way to sort of interact with, with folks that are, you know, just coming on board and just starting to think about this, as well as, as to connect with a lot of seasoned clinicians that are that are sort of, you know, engaged in, in this work day to day. The other group that comes to mind is Academy of Prevention and Health Promotion Therapies, the APHPT. And this is a, a group of, of health professionals, again, that are very much engaged in sort of doing the work of improving the health of individuals and communities. Um, they are a membership organization, but it's, it's a membership that I think would be well worth um, the investment for, for a, a student or a new grad who's, who's wanting to, you know, really sort of level up their knowledge in this space. Um, a couple individuals that come to mind that are, that are very much, um, you know, have very much been strong mentors and, and influencers to me personally are um, Todd Davenport, who's at the University of the Pacific in Stockton, California. Uh, Todd's a great follow on Twitter. Um, I think his handle is Sun's Opening Band. And he, um, Todd tweets out a lot of great information, a lot of thought-provoking um, uh, information, whether it's in regards to, to population health, individual health. Um, Todd's certainly a, a person I would, I would connect with to anybody interested in, in learning more in this field. Uh, another is Don Magnuson. Um, Don's been a, a great resource um, and, and really a, um, somebody that I've looked looked to 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 provide um i guess some, some leadership in this space as well okay so when thinking about the patient that needs to make a change but doesn't know who to go to for help in that expertise area do you recommend that pts create almost like a team of people that they feel comfortable referring out to like dietitians personal trainers sleep specialists etc um, i definitely think it's important for the especially for the, the new graduate to, to put themselves out there in the community and start to meet other professionals uh, that, are, that are kind of thinking about health from a more holistic standpoint or, or, or patient care from a more holistic standpoint. So I think it is very important to, to establish, you know, relationships with, with folks that have expertise in areas that, that we may not. So nutrition is certainly one. I think mental health is, is another that's very, very important. And I think, you know, you might, have to, you might have to knock on a few doors. You might have to make a few phone calls and just, you know, have a conversation with various professionals, especially if you're entering a community brand new, you know, you're not going to know anybody. You're not going to know who's good, who's not, you know, who's accepting new patients, who's not. So I think, you know, starting just with a basic internet search, you know, kind of finding out who's out there, you know, visiting websites and Facebook pages and just seeing, you know, getting a feel for, you know, how do these, how do these people think about these, these areas that they're practicing in and just kind of see who might be a good fit and then start to reach out and just introduce yourself, say, hey, you know, I'm a, a, a new grad physical therapist in the area. You know, I'm really, um, you know, interested in, in managing, you know, not just my patient's knee condition, but also their whole health. And, and I just want to have some, some, some folks in the community that have expertise in this area. Just wondering if you might be a, a resource for me to help refer patients to in the, in the future. Um, so that's probably a great place to start. And, and, you know, I can guarantee that once you start to do that, you're going to start to get referrals back. You know, as you start to build those relationships, you know, that dietitian, is going to start to, you know, say, hey, this, this patient that I'm working with for nutrition counseling, uh, you know, really needs to improve their daily physical activity or they're, they're having trouble with a, a particular, 
you know, body part or joint. I'm going to refer them back to that physical therapist I just talked to. So it, it's going to turn into a, a mutually beneficial relationship over time. Um, so I do think it's important to establish that arsenal. So in your opinion, do you see the profession creating a specialty or certification in the future? Um, so I, I, I kind of struggle with this question because part of me says yes, and then part of me says I really, really hope not. And the part of me that says yes, I think, would be a short-term solution, right? So, so if, if physical therapists who are currently practicing or new grads are coming out and saying, I just don't have knowledge in this space that, you know, I can manage my patient's, you know, musculoskeletal or, or neuromuscular, you know, complaint, but I don't know how to manage their health. Yes, we need to have something to meet the needs of, of that therapist. I guess my concern is that I don't want it to turn into sort of a niche practice, right? Like, I don't think managing health is separate from physical therapist practice. I don't think it's a niche portion of physical therapist practice. I think it, it needs to be a foundation of physical therapist practice. I mean, I think all these points are being, like, I think nutrition and sleep and stress management and physical activity, I think they're all being touched on in PT education. At least I certainly hope they are. But I, I don't know if we're getting the education to really encourage behavior change in all those areas and, and what that looks like. Maybe we are. Maybe and I'm, certain, I'm sure some programs are doing that. Others might be sort of coming along. But I think I think we need to get sort of those foundational principles as part of peak education. And, and I'm, I'm a little, I'm not involved in academia. I'm a, I'm a little too far removed. I've been out of school 10 years. So I, I, I don't, I can't speak to whether that's happening or not. But I do know, you know, from what I'm hearing from new graduates is that there is a, a lack of, of education and, and, and knowledge in this area for, for new graduates. And that's why I think folks are turning to some of these groups like the AP, APHPT and the council to try to level up their knowledge because maybe they're not getting as much as they hoped in entry-level education. So my, my hope is is that, you know, physical therapist education, entry-level education, sort of continues to come along and, and really incorporate some of these principles. And now for a quick break. Do you want to make a difference in the opioid epidemic? You can by supporting APTA's award-winning Choose PT public awareness campaign. Go to MoveForwardPT.com slash ChoosePT to access the campaign toolkit, which includes free downloadable resources and assorted ChoosePT merchandise sold at cost. Join your fellow members in informing the public about the benefits of physical therapy and encourage your community to choose physical therapy. Now let's return to the show. Okay, so this might be an obvious question, but Chris, how do you define really making a behavior change versus just someone just passing along information? Sure. So I think, um, at least to me, and, and you know, I'll just preface this, preface this by saying, I mean, I'm I'm not an expert in behavior change. I mean, I've, um, there are there are others in our field that that certainly are far far more knowledgeable about this than I am. But as as far as the difference between a behavior change, I think it's it's you know recognizing you know sort of where that individual is in terms of their readiness to change. That's probably the the first and most important step. Um, and then you know sort of setting up, helping that individual set up a, a plan. Um, to make that change versus just, you know, providing information on, you know, here's a one-page handout on increasing daily physical activity, right? I mean, that's, chances are if that person is not performing any physical activity or at least not enough, not enough to, to make a, you know, significant difference in their life, providing them with a handout and, and a 30-second educational piece is not going to be enough to nudge any sort of meaningful change versus, you know, if, if you truly listen to that patient, hear where they are, hear where some of the, the barriers are toward making that change, hear how ready they are to make that change, and then help that patient work on a plan with, 
you know, short and long-term steps and goals to get to that change that they want to make, I think that's that's probably the big difference to me. So transitioning just a little bit, outside of just the personal factors, what are some other areas that PTs can consider engaging in to make a difference on not just one individual's health, but a larger population and even just a whole community? So I think so far we've talked we've talked a lot about the personal factors or the individual factors that influence someone's health, and those are extremely important. And in and, and day-to-day physical therapist practice, I think that's where we're going to spend a lot of our time. But if we want to start thinking a little more broadly about not just the health of individuals, but of the health of populations or communities, I think we need to we need to zoom out and think a little bit bigger picture. So one one framework to sort of look at the health of the community is the social ecological model of health which is kind of like an onion. If you can imagine an onion, down at the center, we have the individual factors that shape health. The next layer of the onion is, is kind of the interpersonal factors that shape health. And that might be a person's, you know, close friends, close family, just those, those social connections that help to influence um, health. And then if you kind of zoom out from the onion and go to the third layer, then we start to get into community-level factors, right? So this might be, you know, local areas of government, how the workplace is designed, how the environment is set up and designed. You know, is it designed to uh, encourage daily physical activity or is it encouraged to, or is it designed to encourage more sedentary activity? And then again, as you consider a further zoom out, then you start to get into kind of the higher level, um, government level policy um, framework that might shape, that might shape health. So I think if, if we're, again, if we're trying to, to encourage physical therapists to think about population health a little more broadly, we can't just focus in on the individual level. We've got to step out and, and try to influence some of these other layers that influence health. And, and so one area that I've really been engaged in for the past, I don't know, probably five to seven years in my community is, is trying to shape the built environment or the community level factors that influence health where I live in Traverse City. And when I first started to kind of pay attention to this space, I just did so as, as kind of a concerned citizen, right? I mean, here I am as a physical therapist. I'm, I'm noticing some trends in my patients, right? A lot of folks that are overweight, um, not getting a considerable amount of daily physical activity or certainly not enough, and, and noticing a, an environment that just really discourages daily movement, um, a lack of safe places to walk and bike, um, you know, an, an environment that encourages people to kind of get in their car to move everywhere they need to go. Um, so I started to, to work as a, an individual advocate in my community to advocate for more safe places to walk and to bike, safe places to cross the street. Um, and then over time, that that role has involved uh, or evolved into joining with a local advocacy group here in Traverse City. So for the last three years, I've been on the board of directors for a group called Norte, and we're a, we're a programming and advocacy organization that's really centered around improving physical physical activity in youth. So we deliver a lot of a lot of programming that centers around bicycles in Traverse City. We're in um, every preschool in Traverse City with a balanced bike program where we teach um, preschoolers over a four week curriculum how to ride balanced bikes. Um, we also have a, an after school program called the Bike Moss Club where um, kids meet up with a group of friends. And they're led by one of our volunteer instructors, and they're taught safe riding skills on how to get around on our, our city streets safely and properly via bicycle. So this is meant to, you know, really teach kids the, the rules of the road, proper bicycle safety, 
um, and really help to empower and and give them the confidence that they need to move around their community safely via bicycle. Um, and we we also offer a lot of other programming, uh, both during school, after school, in the summertime, on weekends, um, to try to get kids more active, um, mainly via bicycle, but we've also started to engage kids with some other uh, other programming with, with Winter Walk Wednesdays, which is a just a kind of an empowerment program to encourage people to, to consider walking one day a week versus driving uh, and, and a lot of other things like that. And so what we, what we recognized as we started to deliver this programming is that, you know, just encouragement isn't enough, right? Just saying, hey, kids, let's, let's go for a bike ride or let's take a walk isn't enough. We need to have safe places to do so. So we've really evolved into not just a programming organization, but also an advocacy organization where we're, we're literally at the table um, day after day after day trying to influence policies and infrastructure decisions that support physical activity. Um, just before I recorded this, this uh, meeting with you, I was uh, at another meeting this morning with, with some community leaders discussing a, a big street redesign project that's happening in Traverse City this summer um, and discussing, you know, the importance of having safe places to walk and bike as part of that project. So that's that's kind of what we've um, what we've added as part of the scope of our the nonprofit that I'm involved in is um, really being involved in the community level decisions that are shaping health because we we recognize that programming was important and it certainly helped to fill a need and it certainly helped to encourage and empower more kids. Um, we just we recognize that we needed to influence policy and infrastructure level decisions to really have the impact that we want to see in our region. Wow. So how do you even get started working in that capacity within your community? Yeah. So so for me, I, j- I just started to engage, um, you know, just started to pay attention to the to the process of how decisions are made at the very local level. So I, I live in, in Traverse City, which is a small city of about 15,000. We're part of a, a larger region of about 100,000, you know, relatively small, um, relatively small city. So I just I just started to pay attention to what was happening, you know, um, I started to pay attention to what was going on at our city commission meetings. Um, started to, to, you know, recognize. And, and part of part of it, I think, is, um, you know, where I live. I'm fortunate to live and work um, in an area that that's quite walkable. So I I don't drive a whole lot. I walk and bike most places. And by doing that, you start to recognize gaps, right? So so when you have to get from point A to point B, and you, you realize that there's no safe place to do that. You know, you, you don't notice that if you're behind the wheel of the car. You notice that when you're out on the street, right? And so so it was part, you know, just being out and about, you know, moving around on foot and by bike, um, you know, engaging with other groups, you know, engaging with folks um, who have, you know, trouble with, with getting around, mobility impairments, folks who use wheelchairs or canes or walkers listening to their concerns. Some of them are my patients. Some are just folks in the community that I know. Um, hearing from them and, and hearing, you know, their concerns on, on mobility gaps in the, in the area just being out in the community helped to kind of inform, I guess, areas that I that I thought needed to be improved upon. And then I just started to, you know, show up at city commission meetings, send emails to city commissioners and, and folks on our city staff, our city uh, planning commission, our city planner, our city engineer, our city manager, just starting to, inter- in, you know, engage with them. And so that, I think that just engagement and just being out in the public um Help me connect with this nonprofit that I'm a part of that was interestingly co-founded by by two physical therapists. So I think there was there was kind of a connection there, just being PT professionals. But they kind of saw what I was doing, I saw what they were doing, and we met and said, hey, you know, I think I think we'd be a good fit to work together. And so I joined the board of directors and kind of 
started to, to lead our advocacy efforts and um, and sense what's really what really neat is we've kind of grown that to now um, you know it's really just been all volunteer effort on my part up until this point for the last couple of years um, but we've we've you know with via fundraising and just growing the organization we're now in a position where we're going to hire uh, a part-time advocacy director to step into that role and we just met as a board last night and made a decision to to, to extend an offer to a, a very qualified candidate um, so, so it's just it's it's pretty exciting to see you know kind of that evolution of just going from like you know just kind of a concerned citizen, engaged citizen, to you know kind of jumping on board with a with a group you know that that sort of had it just it helped to kind of level up my voice by by joining forces with this advocacy organization. Okay, Chris, any last thoughts for us? I mean, talking a little bit more about the community level factors, being intentional about about being maybe a role model. In your community, I think is is something to consider if it, if it works for for you as an individual. Um, I think it's been really helpful for me, um, both as an advocate for community design that supports physical activity, and then also as a as just a role model to my patients. Is you know I'm out there every day. My patients see me all the time walking and biking places. They see me walking to work. They see me leaving work on foot or on my bike. And you know it's it's, it's kind of a joke. Like right now we're in Traverse City in the winter and like. I'm riding my bike places all bundled up with crazy lights. And, you know, like my patients see that and like they kind of joke with me about it. But like, I think it, it serves as like a little bit of a extra motivator. Like, Hey, they see this crazy guy biking in the polar vortex and snow and ice. And like, you know, if, if you can do that, like maybe I can do that, you know, or, or maybe not to that level, but you know, maybe I can consider walking to the store once in a while or, or something like that. And then also I think, an important thing to consider as a new grad, and I wish I would have been a little more intentional with this in my first couple of years of practice, but um, the, the benefit of being intentional about where you live and where you work can have significant benefit because if you, um, where I live and work now, I'm about a mile from, from home to work, which makes it really easy for me to, to walk or bike to work every day, which makes it very easy for me to be a role model in my community and, and being physically active, which I think is great. Um, the also thing it enabled me to do is get rid of a car which enabled me to pay off my student loans about 50% faster than I would have otherwise. Um, so originally when I first took my first job coming out, I had about a 30-minute commute. Both my wife and I had to have a car, and our transportation expenses were, were considerable. Um, as soon as I changed jobs and, and, and was able to walk and bike everywhere to work, we were able to get rid of that car, we were able to free up a lot of income, and we were just able to, to really, really accelerate paying off our student loans. So I know that's a huge factor to consider for new grads coming out of school is, is this massive student loan debt, right? But just imagine if you didn't have five or $600 a month in transportation expenses, and you could use that money to start paying off your student loans more quickly. Um, I wish I would have done that sooner. I wish I would have been a little more intentional about that sooner, because I think I would have been debt-free a lot sooner. Chris, thank you so much. This is just an awesome topic to explore, and I think our listeners are really going to get a lot out of our conversation. Thanks, Amelia. I, re I really appreciate the opportunity. It's been a, a fun chat. And if folks uh, ever want to reach out to me, um, you'd be more than welcome to find me on Twitter. I'm at Chris Hines PT. Um, so find me there. To learn more about APTA's Council on Prevention, Health Promotion, and Wellness, visit APTA.org slash PHPW. APTA podcasts like this one are available on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. I'm Amelia Sullivan. Thanks for listening.